tonight. Let's go. There's so many people here. It's like the most people I've ever seen in this room. So thanks for making me feel special. But um, I am so excited. I don't know if I'm excited as y'all are, but I'm excited <laughs> to be here tonight to finish up this incredible series that we've been in. I am a little biased for obvious reasons about this series, um, but there is actually one reason in particular that I am super pumped for tonight. And some of you may know this little fun fact about me is that I am a pastor's kid. Um, my dad's been a pastor for like 30 odd years now. My parents are both in ministry. Um, any other pastor's kids out there, perchance? Maybe a few? Let's go, right? Um, so fun fact about pastors is that they love to bring up their kids on Sunday morning. They love to preach about their kids. They love to put them in fun stories. They love to air out their dirty laundry. So I grew up 22 years, almost every Sunday, hearing about me to the whole congregation. My dad just, and most of the time he was like the hero, right? So it's like I didn't even get the good stuff. Well, Tonight, my family is here all the way from Maryland, right there in the back. So dad, after 22 years, it's payback time. <laughs> and I, oh, it's, I took so long to figure out what perfect story to tell in my final, my one moment of revenge. And I was like, okay, the one time mom broke off your engagement, maybe? <laughs> or, <laughs> don't worry, they're, they're happily married, 25 years, um, so they're all good. Um, or maybe the time that you uh, wrecked your motorcycle in the cul-de-sac. Um, or <laughs> maybe the time that you uh, traveled around in a band or had a horrible haircut, I don't know. There was too many to pick out, but I thought I'd be easy on you, Dad, be nice. You've been nice to me my whole life, so I guess I have to be. Um, but if there's one thing you need to know about my dad is that he goes all out for everything. He does. And as a pastor, he goes all out for everything church-related. So I thought of a really traumatic childhood story to illustrate this. So when I was about five years old, maybe, so it was like 17 years ago, um, my dad put on this huge community event for kids, and he did, literally did a bet. He was like, if there could be 200 kids at this event, which wasn't possible, by the way, because it was a tiny town in Laurel, Delaware, um, then Pastor Todd was going to shave his head. It was a big deal. The whole town knew about it, I think. Um, but he was going to shave his head if 200 kids come out, and there was no way that was going to happen. But somehow, by an act of God, like 202 kids showed up to this event. And so I remember sitting there at the feet of my dad. I'll literally have a photographic memory of this. And the shears going over his head. And this was a bigger deal back then because he had a lot more hair, right? Um, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to get that one in. But it was so traumatic because my dad didn't even look like him anymore. I was like, who is this man? I literally wept. I bawled as this poor five-year-old Tori. Um, but my dad went out for everything he always does, and he always went out all out for teaching us a love of the Bible. And see, now it's going to get sweet, right? Um, so that's what he did. He always went all out in teaching us a love for the Bible, and he actually told us this story that I'm about to teach you guys as a bedtime story. Um, and if that's not funny to you now, but it will be later, I promise, um, because this is the story of Deborah that we're going to be jumping into tonight. Um, anybody familiar with the story of Deborah? Anybody? Oh, a few people. Let's go. Um, 
But so, we are in this series, uh, Women of Valor, and we're wrapping up tonight with Deborah. And in case you didn't know, the title actually is really, really cool. And I know Austin unpacked it a little bit uh, on the first night, and so bear with me. I'm just going to kind of recap it again. But Women of Valor comes from Proverbs 31, um, the kind of the hallmark chapter about what it means to be a godly woman, right? I know y'all know it because it's all your, like, Instagram bios. So <laughs> don't, you don't know it. Um, but the kind of the, <laughs> the one main verse is a wife of virtue who can find her worth is more than rubies. And this, we hold up this woman of virtue, but actually it's better translated as a woman of valor. Because if you look at that Hebrew word, it's used over 200 times in the Old Testament, and it's used most frequently to use to refer to a military strength or to an army. It's used to refer to power and glory and strength and might, and that is the type of women that we are talking about, women of military might, of force and of strength, and that could not better characterize the woman of Deborah who we're diving into today. Um, but before we do, there is a lot of context that we need to go over, so I need you all Bear with me, we're going to get through some Old Testament stuff, but I promise it'll pay off later. So we're in the book of Judges, um, which if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's on page 241. I encourage you guys to do that. But kind of leading up to Judges, what is happening? We all know Moses, right? He led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, God's chosen people, the Israelites. He led them up until the promised land, at which point Joshua took over, right? You know, Joshua brought the walls of Jericho down. They walked around it a bunch of times and could enter the promised land that they were promised by God. But then after Joshua died is where we get to the judges, where we are now. And if there's one thing you know about the Israelites is that they're always flip-flopping on whether or not they love God. Literally, as soon as Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets, they're already worshiping idols. They're back and forth and back and forth. So in the book of Judges, they would follow God for a minute. They'd fall away, worship some idols. God would punish them, and then he would raise up a judge to bring them back to God. That's how this kind of worked. So the judges were the leaders of Israel who would bring the people back to God after they'd sinned. And that's where we find Deborah. Deborah is one of those judges who was appointed by God to bring the Israelites back to himself. That was her role, and that is why she's an incredible, incredible woman. So we're actually going to dive right into this story. Uh, like I said, page 241. Uh, it starts in chapter 4, verse 1. Y'all still with me? Sweet. All right, so we're going to jump right in. Bear with me. There's a lot of big names, but I promise we'll get through this. All right, starting in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. He was their previous judge. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagawim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. So quick pause. So the Israelites again have sinned. They're now being oppressed by the king of Canaan, Jabin, whose military commander is Sisera. And I just point that out because that's important. These are two big players in this story. So Sisera is the military commander of Jabin's army. And the Israelites have been oppressed for 20 years now. 
And actually, they are so oppressed because of their military might. They have 900 chariots, which, like, okay, big deal, right? Um, but it's actually, like, the most mil like, military-advanced tech at the time. So it's a literally impossible army. There is no way these scrappy Israelites would ever be able to take over this army. This oppression, in their eyes, is going to last a lifetime because there's no way they could overcome that. So picking up back in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Rahim and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinuam and Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So Deborah uh, receives a word from the Lord that they are to take over this army, that this 20 years of oppression is over, and that God is going to deliver Sisera and the army into their hands. That is the word that Deborah receives and then gives to her military commander, Barak. Back in verse 8, Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So he's kind of wimping out, you know. Barak, or Deborah gave, her, gave him this word of the Lord that they are take over this army, and he doesn't want to go without her. And then verse 9, Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And this is uh, kind of a mic drop moment in the Bible. This is like some HBO stuff. Um, <laughs> like, it's a really, really big deal. This man, Barak, has been training his whole life as a warrior to take over, to be the one to end Sisera's life, to be the one to end their oppression by killing the other opposing army's commander. And because he wimps out, the honor is going to be given to a woman, which is like unheard of in Old Testament times. So I'm sure his jaw dropped, and he went over and cried somewhere, I guess, probably. I'm adding that in. Um, so that's where we're at in the story. And before we finish, there's just a few things that I want to point out about the character of Deborah, because she really is the quintessential woman of valor. I'm so glad I'm the one who got to talk about her, because she is this last pinnacle woman of incredible, incredible strength. Because from the beginning, we learn that she is the leader of Israel. She is the girl. She is running the show. She is the mouthpiece for God. She is giving her people direction in deciding their disputes. She is giving military commands, as we just read. And hear this. She was a judge because God gave her that role. And by nature, her actions were divinely inspired because of her relationship with God. And we'll return to this later um, but she had significance and influence not because of her own might or her own wisdom or her own discernment, because of God's presence and calling on her life. She was noteworthy because God was with her and because she had the brave obedience to follow through on what he asked of her. That's why she was noteworthy. That's why she was able to follow through. And verse 8 reinforces this because Barak doesn't even want to go anywhere without her. She's the one that has God's presence. She's the one that has been chosen by God, and he can't go anywhere without her. So with that in mind, that kind of little insight into who Deborah is, we'll finish out this story. Picking back up in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. 
at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hagosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. So, Barak finally obeys uh, the Lord's command to take over, to lead these 10,000 men into battle, and God does the work. God is the one who routes this army, who destroys the chariots, but Sisera is left, and this, he's kind of the pin that holds it all together. He has to be defeated, and Barak really wants this, and so he's pursuing him. Sisera gets away. He runs into what he thinks is an ally's tent, to the tent of Jael, another incredible woman in this story. So with that cliffhanger, we'll finish it up. Verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her, and if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. <laughs> Freaking gruesome, y'all. Y'all say the Bible ain't interesting. Um, just then, Barak came into the, in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. And so now you know why it's funny that my dad read this as a bedtime story. <laughs> it kind of explains all the nightmares. Um, but... <laughs> But the, the finally, it all comes together, the climax of the story, Deborah's prophecy comes true, and uh, Sisera is delivered into the hands of a woman. In fact, she is a pagan woman. She's not even an Israelite, but she followed God enough to follow through on what God told her to do. And because of that, because of this victory that we read Israel had, the land actually had peace for 40 years that we find out in chapter 5. The land had peace for 40 years because of this victory that God won for them. So that, that is the story of Deborah. I hope this is interesting to you. Um, I know there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people, a lot of dead people, some tent pigs, some plot twists. Um, <laughs> but if you're still with me, I really think that there's a lot that we can learn, specifically a, a lot that we can learn about living in the victory that God gives us. Because here's the thing. God didn't stop fighting for his people at the end of Judges. And he hasn't stopped fighting for us now. He used the judges to bring his people back into a relationship with them. And he continues to pursue us now to bring us back into relationship with him. God has a heart for his people. We are his people now today. And I think there's so much that we can learn about living in the victory even now that God grants us. So the first step, the first step of what it means to live in God's victory is to step out in brave obedience. We have to step out in brave obedience because girls and guys alike here tonight, we know that Deborah, what is so striking about her is that she had some courageous steps. She stepped out in insane bravery against insurmountable odds, this insane army that no one would ever be able to touch. She was the one 
to step out in courage and say, God has told us that we will take over this land. And the reason she was able to do this, that she was able to do such huge risks, is because she had confident trust in who God was. She had confident trust in who God was. She saw so clearly who he was and what he was capable of. Even in the face of insurmountable odds, she saw God. So maybe some of you need to be brave today and take a big step, but that's got to start with confident trust that God is who he says he is, that he's faithful, that he's fighting for you, that he loves you, that he's got whatever you are facing. You have to have confident trust that he is who he says he is because we see the difference in what happens when you have trust and when you don't. Deborah did. Deborah saw God, saw the plan. She was the one to remind the people that this is the Lord's plan. And Barak, he just saw the situation. He saw the 900 chariots and she saw the victory. And it was about perspective. She was looking at what God could do and saw and knew confidently who her God was. Now, granted, and hopefully, God isn't calling you to uh, lead an army of 10,000 people or drive any tent pegs through anyone's heads. Um, <laughs> if you are, I'll be here after service. I'd love to chat. Um, but <laughs> there are some brave, brave steps that I think we can take that God is calling you to. But maybe some of you are being consumed by the situation like Barak. Maybe you think God is calling you to higher education, right? We're all college age. But like Barak, you just see the situation. You see the debt and the papers and the late nights. Instead of like Deborah, seeing God's providence in his hand, in his plan, and in uh, the way he's calling you to that. Maybe you know you need to take a brave step in reconciling a relationship. And meeting that person, you know things are strained. And like Barak, you just see the heartache and the struggle. But you need to see God's heart for redemption and reconciliation and his, and his guidance all along the way. Maybe you need to take a next step in your faith or in your career or in your life and take a big, bold next step, but you know it's going to upset your family. And rather than seeing the situation and seeing the struggle that that's going to cause, you need to see God's heart and God's providence and his guidance through it. Choose to see God's presence. And here's the thing. Sometimes we are so afraid of what that brave step would look like, we look for the reasons to say no. And then we remind God of them as if it would make a difference or as if he doesn't know about them already. I uh, can speak about this because I do this a lot. Um, when we were actually deciding what to do after college, my husband and I, uh, we had the world at our fingertips as it felt. We were, had just graduated. We were ready to go out into the world. And slowly and slowly, we kept hearing about 12 Stone. Um, and doors just kept opening. And boy, did I have the reasons to say no. I was like, mm-mm, nope, it is hot. It is in the middle of Georgia. It's 10 hours away from my family. It is uh, financially not the best uh, decision we could make. Um, but, you know, spoiler alert, here we are. Um, <laughs> and, man, we trusted God. We put our faith in him that that is what he wanted us to do. And we have been so blessed by it. God has just confirmed that over and over again. Because on the other side of brave obedience is blessing. Because when you choose to follow God, when you choose to believe who he says he is, there is blessing. When we had to kind of be far away from our families, God surrounded us with a new family, a new fellowship here. And God has even provided in our finances in a huge way. God has provided for us so much. There's so much blessing on the other side of brave obedience. Because rather than remind God of all the reasons to say no, Deborah 
reminded her people of who God was. And there's always going to be reasons to say no to the brave steps God's calling you to, but that didn't stop Deborah, and that shouldn't stop you. Moving on to the second point of what it means to live in victory is we have to embrace the upside-down kingdom. We have to embrace the upside-down kingdom. Um, Have you ever uh, bought a new car or new something and thought you were the only one to have it and then realized you see it everywhere? Like, (laughs) you're like, oh, I got this, and like, oh, oh, no, there's 10 of them on the road. When you find something new, you see it everywhere. And there is this principle in the Bible that once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. And that is, is that God is in the business of flipping things upside down, in the business of doing the unexpected. That's what our God does through the entire story of the Bible, and he continues to do it now. So take the story, for example. God puts a woman in charge. Yeah, uh uh-huh, to take over a literally impossible army and then uses a pagan woman to finish off this military commander. Completely reverses everyone's expectations. And honestly, it feels a little bit outside the norm, right? Because that's what God does. He flips our expectations. And like I said, it's in the rest of the Bible. Take Jesus, God, who is the creator of the universe. We have all these big words to describe him, came in the form of the most vulnerable thing, a human baby. And on earth, Jesus elevated the poor and the weak and the prostitutes and the socially unacceptable. He taught us to love our enemies. And scripture is so clear that the blessed are the poor and the meek and the persecuted and the hungry. Because the kingdom of God by nature is an upside down world where the poor and the persecuted are the inheritors of the kingdom of God. They are the children of God. We live in an upside-down world. Because nobody expected Deborah and Jael to be the reason why this incredible kingdom fell. And God continues today to break our expectations. And God wants to do something unexpected in your life. But sometimes we're bound up by the way normal is supposed to be, by the way the kingdom of this world works that we are too uncomfortable in the kingdom of God to let him do something unexpected, to let him flip our story. Ladies, I'm going to preach here for a second. Um, Maybe God is calling you to leadership. Maybe he's calling you to lead in your family, in your career. Maybe God is even calling you to ministry. But you're too caught up in the way this world works and the cultural connotations of what it means to lead as a woman that you're afraid to step out in that, but oh, that you would step out in that brave leadership because I believe that God wants you to break those expectations just like Deborah did. (sighs) Because God is in the business of flipping things upside down. By nature, that's what he does because we don't deserve second chances. We don't deserve his love. We didn't deserve the cross. We didn't deserve the empty grave. But that's what the kingdom of God is about, getting things that we don't deserve. And a lot of us, we get hung up on this, right? I've had so many conversations, a lot of which with people in this room, I feel like they're too broken. They're too messed up. Their past is full of too many things that they don't want to talk about. To where I feel like they can never be redeemed, much less be used by God to do something great. But can I just say, God is in the business of redemption and of redeeming your story and flipping it upside down like he's been from the very beginning. Because the God who brought his people out of slavery wants to bring you out of bondage. And the God who fought for a relationship with his people is fighting for a relationship with you. And the God who stooped to the very nature of man, even farther to the death on a cross, is stooping down to you tonight. That's what our God does. 
He's in the business of redemption. And there's no one too far, no one too damaged for the mercy of God. And he wants to redeem your story. He wants to surprise us. Won't you let him surprise you? This last point um, is kind of the culmination. It's the key to these first two points. They kinda, it kind of brings it all together. And that's that we have to rest in humble dependence. We have to rest in humble dependence. And this is really hard for us. Uh, specifically, this is hard for me because um, any other control freaks out there? Uh-huh, yep. Um, yeah, so literally last week, um, last Thursday, I was at home. I was on vacation, so unfortunately not here at C12. Missed y'all so much. Um, but I am such a control freak. The whole day, my family can attest to it. I'm, like, texting my leaders. I'm, like, seeing how the night is going. I literally FaceTime Lindsay to see how everything was going. Um, I was like, refreshing the C12 story as fast as I could to see all the stories, make sure everything was going okay. Because I'm a control freak. That's what I do. And I'm working on it, okay? Um, but we have learned to be independent people. Culture has created us to be independent people. And somewhere along the lines, we got the message that dependence equals weakness. That to depend on someone or depend on God means that you're weak. And like I've been saying, the kingdom of God is upside down. And to depend on God means you have strength. Because strength is found in dependence. Strength begins independence. And that's what Deborah shows us the entire time. Her prophecy and her wisdom all came from God. Her direction, her leadership, all came from God. She was the one to remind them that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Barak didn't even want to go into battle without her because God's presence was so strong with her. And even after God gave her the prophecy that Sisera would be given into the hands of the woman, she didn't take that glory. She let another woman take that. And in Judges 5, we see the praises of Deborah about the victory. She is continually praising God because all direction came from God and all glory went back to God. That's what it means to live in dependence. All direction comes from God and all glory goes back to God. And here's where the rubber meets the road. As I was writing this sermon, I really wanted to write a sermon about what can happen, what you can do when you're strong and you're fierce and you tell people what to do. But I heard God subtly whispering, no, Look what you can do when you rely on me. That's what it's all about. It's not about how hard we can work, but it's about what God can do through us when we surrender control. So as we close, uh, we're going to wrap up with Judges 5, which is, like I said, it is a poetic retelling, Deborah's song about what just happened, about the victory that has just been won. She says in uh, Judges 5, 3 through 5, Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched in the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So she recounts this victory, and the thread of dependence and glory to God is through the entire thing. Even after she was the one to make this happen, she was the one for who, who heard from God that they were to take over this army. She continues to give all glory to God and depend on him. Which is ironic, right? This woman who just won a military victory, the lesson is surrender. 
the lesson is surrender. And the very last verse, I think this is the most beautiful thing, the last verse to wrap it all together, the last words of her song in verse 31. This is page 243. So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. She doesn't say after this victory, may all who have the best strategy rise in strength, may all who have the best sacrifices rise in strength, or may all who pray the hardest rise in strength. No, it's God. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. And that's what's amazing about what God does when we surrender. He doesn't just leave us there in the dirt. He rises us up in strength like the sun. And we're able to do far more than we could ever imagine because of the supernatural strength that he gives us and that only can come from him. Oh, that we would love God, that our surrender and our strength would come from our love relationship with him. Because strength is in surrender. God doesn't want your performance He doesn't want your work. He doesn't want your striving. He wants your love. He wants your dependence. He wants that relationship. He's been fighting for it from the very beginning. That's what he wants. And if you need to take a brave step of obedience, if you felt God calling that to you tonight, or if you need God desperately to flip your script, would you start in this humble dependence, in this surrender? instead of spinning your spiritual gears and and working and striving, would you lean into the humble dependence, into the God who is fighting for you? Because God has always been fighting for us. As I've been saying this whole time, he's always been fighting. He's fought for you already in your life. So will you recall the moments that he's fought for you, the moments that he's been faithful? Remember that he provides the victory. So we're going to take some time to respond. And I encourage you that if you have been called to a step of brave obedience, would you, would you pray through that? Or, if you've, or you know that you need some redemption in your life, I encourage you to pray through that as well. But if there is something that you need to surrender so that you can surrender your life to the God who wants to fight your battles, who wants to give you the victory, I encourage you to pray through that moment of surrender in this song. Because God has always been fighting for you, and he's going to continue to fight for you if you will surrender to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the beauty of your word through the incredible stories that you've given us and these incredible women that you have raised up to make an impact on your kingdom and the incredible lessons that we have all learned from them. And God, some of us are sensing your prompting even now that we need to take a step of obedience, that we need to surrender, whatever it may be. God, would you prompt that in our hearts? Would you, would you give us your strength so that we may continue to impact your kingdom? And we will continue to give you all the glory and all the honor that you are due because you alone are worthy, God. You are worthy of it all. In your name we pray all these things. Amen.